Welcome to uh, Urban Forum Northwest with your co-host Hayward Evans and Eddie Rye. Our first guest is a distinguished individual from Washington, D.C., uh, Dr. E. Faye Williams, and she has so many different letters behind her name. It's not funny, but the most important thing is she's doing a whole bunch for people in this country as uh, chair of the National uh, uh, Congress of Black Women out of Washington, D.C., uh, has chapters across the country. And uh, Dr. E. Faye, why don't you share with our listeners a little bit about what the organization is undertaking right now? Well, let's just say that, uh, first of all, I've been moved up to president and CEO instead of... Do we have Dr. Ife on? <laughs> yes. Are you hearing me? Oh, yes, I can now, yes. But okay. I was just... Uh, get, yeah, get I just, uh, I've been moved up to national president uh, from chairman. There is another chairman now. But there is so much going on back here, one hardly knows where to start. Um, in the in the Congressional Black Caucus today, they're trying to get the uh, police reform bill passed that they've named for George Floyd. And um, we expect that the Democrats will, you know, be successful in passing that from the House. Unfortunately, the Republicans are playing their usual game. They put things into their bills so that one could study it, you know. And, you know, we black people have learned what studying something means. It means delaying any action on it. So while the House will pass it, uh, we don't think the Senate will pass it or will move, but hopefully they can find some common ground. If not, then it's incumbent upon us to wait until we have a new Senate next year. Uh, we'd have to wait a bit longer. I don't think that's going to make the people, the activists, happy, but that is probably the best course for us to do because it's very doubtful that the Senate will pass it, and the president has said even if it passes, he's going to veto it. So uh, it's, we're not in a very good place on that. Then, um, of course, there's some other things that we're working on in the National Congress of Black Women. We are working on an online voter registration program with the uh, former soul singer Joe Simon. You'll remember Joe was uh, someone who sang uh, songs like Drowning in the Sea of Love, uh, Choking Kind, Power of yep. Love. And he was a big hit at uh, one time. He's now converted to being a bishop. He's, a, he's an evangelist. And he and I have been working on this online voter registration because we realize how many people are not uh, registered. So many have been knocked off the voter registration rolls. And uh, I guess the other big thing that's uh, going on right now is I saw an interview with uh, Representative Eleanor Holmes Norton about uh, possible statehood, statehood. Washington, D.C. Absolutely. Absolutely. Tomorrow um, there will be a vote on statehood. You know, as usual, we, we would expect that the House will pass the bill, but so many Republicans have come out and said that they're opposed to it. When we saw what uh, President Trump did during the early protests here in Washington, D.C., it seems that we were able to get more co-sponsors of the bill so most of the Democrats will be on the bill. And the reason President Obama took the liberty of sending in the military is because we do not have a vote in the United States Congress. We pay taxes. As a matter of fact, those of us who are residents of the District of Columbia pay more taxes than 22 states in the United States, and still we don't have a single vote in the United States Congress. So that's why we are hoping that uh, your people from, uh, you know, that are in the Congress from the state of Washington will be supporting our um, vote, H.R. 51, and that's the D.C. statehood bill. Uh, we've been seeing our mayor talking about it today, uh, Congresswoman Eleanor Holmes Norton, who, by the way, does not have a vote in the Congress, so we have no vote whatsoever in the Congress. Yes, they did mention the fact that she would not have a vote because uh, she's considered a delegate. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Uh, she's paid to be there. She can, of course, uh, you know, vote in committees and talk about the problems in D.C., but she's unable to cast a single vote for us. All we can do is vote on local things, and even the Congress can overrule us, particularly on the financial matters here in Washington, D.C. So we really have no, no real um, – we, we're taxed without representation. Let's put it like that. Taxation without representation. Now, in yes. terms of, I mentioned uh, on Facebook and to some other folks about the chapters that you have uh, across the country. Can you share with our listeners, like, and I know you guys also went around and 
uh, spoke up on behalf of quite a few candidates uh, that were successfully elected. So if you could just share some of that information with uh, with our listening audience, we'd appreciate that. Before I go to Hayward Evans for his comment. Well, as I said, you know, since the virus, we've been unable to do all of the voter registration programs that we're able to do. That's a nonpartisan activity, so that's why we're doing the online voter registration. Um, but but we also do get out the vote. We can do that. That's a nonpartisan one. But of course, as as an individual, I serve on the uh, Black Women for Biden committee, and many of the people in my organization, as individuals, serve on that committee too. Uh, we are working to do everything that we can to teach people uh, how important it is to vote. And, Eddie, if you don't do anything else on your program between now and November 3rd, please tell people that President Trump did not send them those stimulus checks. The money came from our pockets, those of us who uh, pay taxes. It came from our pockets, but his ego is so fragile that he forced them to put his name on the check as though he had, uh, you know, sent us the check or sent people the, the check. He did not. And that's the one thing that unfortunately is misunderstood because some people saw his name on the check. They uh, mistakenly believed that he had given them the money, but it was in fact the United States Congress that voted for it, and the money came from our pockets. Now I wonder if his name was on the one and a half trillion dollars that corporate America received a year and a half ago. Isn't it something? I mean, it seems that they found. And, they, and there were no that. glitches. There were if no you look glitches. Look at the other that thing out. that happened. They they were supposed to be so on top of this, you know. They were going to do everything that they could to make sure things were done right. And today we learn what over a million dead people got checks. Now, how many of those do they think will be returned? I don't know if they even have a process for returning them, and I don't know what kind of list that they are using. Maybe that that is the way that they put people out there to vote just because they got a check. But uh, we we do not, you know, send checks to dead people. All those payments cease when uh, these people are gone. Now, the other thing that we're dealing with, of course, uh, back here, and it's beginning to spread all across the nation, and that is an uptick in the COVID-19. And I was just, I mean, I'm embarrassed to think that when the president was in Tulsa last week, he did not even know what the 19 meant on covid I mean, that's just how smart a person we have trying to run the world right now. It's an embarrassment to travel and to talk with other people. The other tragedy is that we're having the uptick, but just a whole lot of the Secret Service people have been quarantined. And they are now, uh, because some of them got that virus when they were in Tulsa last week, now their whole team, uh, over 20 people, I'm told, they're quarantined. So that's taking away service that we may need in our country. And the, the, the other issue that we're working on in the National Congress, of course, is those statues, removing those statues from Confederate soldiers who were, they, they were the ones who wanted to tear down this nation. They wanted to keep up slavery. And then the, the president is questioning why we want to take down those statues. Well, I think any person with any sense would know that we do not want to celebrate people on government land that we pay our taxes for to have them saying that they supported slavery. Well, uh, Dr. Ife, uh, in Washington State in 1939, and Hayward Evans, my co-host and I, we worked on this. Uh, uh, the state legislature worked with the Daughters of the Confederacy, and they named Highway 99, uh, in, which goes from the Canadian border to the Oregon border, uh, the Jefferson Davis Highway. And in mm -hmm. 2016, we were able to remove that uh, Jefferson Davis's name, and it was supposed to be named for a, a black Civil War veteran buried in Stormish County, which is just north of King County. And uh, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the one of the guys that worked on it, a white state representative, went to the county council. And because he was successful, he lost his next election. So hopefully this Black Lives Matter thing will wake folks up. But we had Washington become a state until 1889. And we're going to have some name for Jefferson Davis that, you know, so, no, they need to be removed. But I wanted to give uh, my co-host, Hayward Evans, an opportunity to make a comment or ask a question as well. Uh, first, first, yeah, first, Dr. Williams, thank you for being here with us. And you hit so many great subjects. One, how, how can the Republican Party host a convention knowing about COVID-19? You just, you just can't do that. It should be virtual. I'm, Absolutely. you know, God is good. I'm hoping that people don't get sick. But, uh, but he's spreading the virus. Five, 
doesn't understand or he doesn't want to do what is in the best interest of the country. Uh, maybe he's thinking that because more of, more people uh, of color are passing away, it's fatal for them uh, to have that COVID-19 or the coronavirus. Maybe he thinks that those are Democratic voters and he doesn't care whether they are alive or not. But unfortunately, it's been from those, those joint rallies and things that he's been having and of not, you know, not allowing his people to, uh, to, to wear those masks. He doesn't wear it. I noticed today down at the Korean Memorial, he and the First Lady were down there. They were without masks out in the public, even while the rest of the country is suffering and more and more people are getting the coronavirus. He doesn't seem to either understand or doesn't he doesn't care whether people get sick or whether they die. Yeah, Dr. Williams, now, you know, we got, we got to get rid of Mitch McConnell. And uh, mm-hmm. how's uh, Charles uh, Booker doing? And how, how's, your, how's your campaign coming along in Kentucky? That man got to go. Well, actually, um, with all the people who came out to vote for the two Democratic candidates, if all of them come out to vote in the uh, November election, uh, you know, we can say goodbye to Mitch McConnell because uh, I think the two of them generated just a lot of, they attracted a lot of voters, and those voters, we just have to make sure that they come back November 3rd for that final vote against Mitch McConnell. Uh, It is long past time for him to go. He declared when President Obama became president that his mission was to make sure that President Obama failed. That didn't happen. President Obama succeeded in so many things. Now that President Obama is gone, he has Trump to help him try to tear down all of the great things that President Obama did. But fortunately, the Supreme Court, in a pleasant surprise last week, did not agree with, uh, you know, the, the, the DACA, the, the DACA uh, decision to send all those young people to places where they'd never lived before, never knew anything about. And, of course, there was a good decision on um, protecting the right of people to marry. Well, Dr. Williams, we want to thank you. We're out of time. We're out, we're okay. out of time. For All right. Well, segment. thank you for having me on. Love you. Oh, we're going to have you on again, too. And then, uh, hey, well, she has a talk show as well. I'm going to be on one of these days. So okay. thank you How much, Dr. Next, week? next Wednesday. Okay. We got it. It's a deal. Okay. Take <laughs> thank care. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Okay. You, Love you, too, now. Okay. Our next guest is Seattle Port Commissioner Sam Cho. Uh, first time he's been on Urban Forum Northwest. It might have to do because he's been on the Port Commission for like six months. So Commissioner Cho, welcome to Urban Forum Northwest with co-hosts Hayward Evans and Eddie Rye. And uh, I would really like to have you start by just uh, introducing yourself to our listening audience, take a minute or so and give us a little bit about your background and then uh, some of the experiences you had at the Port of Seattle and some of your visions for getting things done. Absolutely. Well, Eddie, thank you so much for having me. It's actually a true honor for me to be on your show today. Um, you know, my name is Sam Cho. As you said, I am the newest member of the Seattle Port Commission, elected in November of last year, uh, sworn in on January 7th of this year. Uh, I've only been on the job for a little over six months now, uh, but there's no... There's been no shortage of work, I'll tell you that much. Um, you know, prior to joining the port, uh, I had a export business called Seven Seas Export, where um, I would export American goods to Asia. Um, and then prior to that, I served uh, in the Obama administration as a political appointee. Uh, I was a special assistant at the U.S. General Services Administration. Um, and then prior to that, I was a congressional staffer working for Congressman Ami Berra from the California 7th. Um, uh, and then you may remember, Eddie, I was most recently a legislative assistant for Bob Hazagawa, Senator Bob Hazagawa, and uh, you and I stood together in support of I-1000 and the repeal of I-200. Um, and so, you know, I've had a wide range of experiences, both on the federal level and on the local level. Um, you know, the port has been an extremely... A incredible place for me to transition into. We, we just have so much reach and influence. And um, when I ran for this position, my campaign slogan was a port for the people, uh, a port for the people. And, and what I meant by that is that I believe that a rising tide should lift all boats. And so one of my biggest missions here as a port commissioner is to make sure that the prosperity of King County and the Puget Sound region uh, reaches everybody. 
Uh, Commissioner Cho, this is Hayward here. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. Now, can you just share with the uh, listening audience, you're a son of immigrants, right? That's right. Yep. My parents immigrated to this country in the late 1980s through the port of Seattle, actually. So they, when they first, first set foot uh, in America, it was through the port of Seattle. And, you know, behold, 30 plus years later, their son serves as the commissioner of the port of Seattle. And so it's full circle. And, and you're the only person of color on the port, That's is that right. correct? Yeah, that was actually one of the biggest reasons why I ran for this position is that, you know, I saw a commission that was very white. <laughs> uh, and so, uh, you know, I decided to kind of take the leap of faith and put in the work to run and win the spot. So um, I'm really great, grateful to be here. So with the COVID-19, how's that impacting the port right now? Yeah, so we've been hit on multiple fronts. Um, just for your audience's awareness and context, the Port of Seattle includes both SeaTac International Airport and the seaport, or what we call the maritime side, which is all the ocean cargo, the, the recreational marinas, cruise ship terminals, uh, the commercial fishing terminals as well. Um, on the airport side, you know, when COVID first hit back in, Feb in early February, we saw a 95% dip in employment numbers, in other words, people going through security. Uh, so just to give you a sense of what that looks like, the average daily number of passengers that go through security at SeaTac is around 50,000 a day. Back in February, we fell to 2,000 a day. Oh, wow. so it was a pretty huge uh, drop in passenger numbers for us. Uh, and we've seen that number recover a little bit. Last week, we, it went back up to 10,000 passengers a day. Uh, but we're still nowhere near the 50,000 passengers a day we were used to. And then on the cargo side, uh, you know, we've seen about a 24% drop in cargo. In other words, exports and trade uh, volumes have dipped about 20 to 24% year over year. And then, as you know, as most people know, cruise season has been canceled. And so we don't have any cruise ships coming in to our harbors this year in the summer, which takes a huge hit, not just to our bottom line, but also to a lot of small businesses who rely on that tourism for business. Um, and so it's, it, we've, been, we've, seen, we've been hit on multiple levels. And so, and so uh, has support, I guess, lost a lot of money? How are they coming, coming along budgetarily? Yeah, so we, we it's, it's very difficult, obviously, given the uncertainty of the pandemic and how long the pandemic is going to last, to forecast the budget. But our forecast in a worst-case scenario see about between a 200 and $250 million budget shortfall, uh, which is pretty substantial for us. Now, the good news is that the CARES Act that Congress passed several months ago included $192 million for CSAC airports. So we made up about $192 million uh, on the airport side through the CARES Act. However, we still have about uh, $10 to $50 million in uh, a budget deficit. So actually, this past Tuesday, uh, we empowered the executive director of the port to cut $70 million from the port budget in 2020 just to make sure that uh, we do not end up in a bad spot. Um, but we've obviously prioritize, you know, our own people. So I'm proud to say that the $70 million budget cut does not include any layoffs. We have not made any layoffs during this time. And the uh, airport vendors, what about them? them? Them getting some type of relief? That's because right. I know yeah, if I... No, that's uh, a good point. So, you know, we've been working with our airport dining and retail. The most of them are small businesses. And a good number of them are, as you know, minority uh, business owners, uh, women-owned businesses, uh, and whatnot. And so I actually started working with them early in March to negotiate a relief package. Excellent. Uh, and, and fortunately, earlier this month, we, we did pass a relief package that entails uh, a deferral of rent, uh, extension of leases, suspension of certain uh, minimum guarantees. And uh, this was a mutually agreed upon uh, you know, uh, agreement between the tenant and us. And this, this is extended to taxi drivers, to rental car tenants, uh, the maritime tenants. Uh, and so we've, we've, we've instituted a pretty comprehensive uh, relief package. 
uh, Commissioner Commissioner Cho, uh, we're gonna have to have you have to be a regular on there since you you have to represent all the people of color. Although Peter Steinbrook <laughs> and those guys, they claim that they're making a commitment, and Peter's on the radio program last week. Now, is uh, Perry Cooper on the line with you? I am here, yes, as well. Okay, because uh, there's a, we just and Hayward just mentioned COVID nineteen. And you're the guy to send out the press releases by four CTAC. What has changed at the and what is what precautions are being taken at CTAC to ensure that people don't to get the disease transmitted to them? Yeah, we have come up with a program that we call Fly Healthy at SEA. So SEA for a lot of folks, uh, that's our new moniker. We use that instead of CTAC, but if you want to refer to refer to us as CTAC, that's fine as well too. Uh, we've been working on this for a couple of months now, and it's going to look a little bit different for folks as they come back to the airport. Some of the biggest things that we're doing are, uh, number one, is making sure that we've actually asked and required everybody to wear face coverings. Um, you've heard the, uh, the, uh, from the governor that they're actually asking everybody in the state to do that as well, too. So it's a huge reminder you know, to try and help each other to keep everybody safe, your, yourself as well as other people. And we've got signage that's up throughout the airport. We've got some 2,900 different signs that are up to refer to folks to physical distancing. So everywhere in the ticket counters, uh, in the queue lines for the checkpoints, um, out in the waiting spaces for all of our dining and retail spaces as well, too. All those to remind people to keep six feet away and make sure that you're practicing physical distancing. Other things that we're doing then as well, too, is... We've doubled down on our cleaning that's going on. So we've got frequent disinfection throughout the entire airport with medical-grade cleaning products. And I think, Commissioner, I don't know if you're typing in there, but I can hear you typing there. So <laughs> you might put us on mute. There uh, we go. Perry, the, the Avent Radar Project, how's that coming along? The which project again? I'm sorry? The Avent Radar? Yeah. Radar yeah, we, we got we got about two minutes left. So what I'd like to do is give the commission the last two minutes. Oh, and Perry, you're always welcome to come back on. It sounds like uh, if Commissioner Cho agrees, he'll be a regular on Urban Forum Northwest because the port is one of the sponsors of this radio program, Commissioner. I, I would love to be a regular on, on your program. That would be great. Um, okay. So yeah, why don't I just wrap it up by saying, you know, the Port of Seattle is in a relatively good position. I think everyone who is thinking about flying anytime soon should feel that uh, feel safe. Uh, that is our number one priority, the safety of our, our passengers and our constituents who are flying to Seattle. We're working with our airline partners to make sure that our planes are all cleaned in between flights. Um, and so if anyone's contemplating travel in the next few weeks, uh, you should know that the Port of Seattle is putting your safety uh, first and foremost. Um, but overall, I think that, you know, we're, we're, um, we're heading into more uncertain times in the port of Seattle doing everything we can economically as well to stimulate the local economy. And so I look forward to coming back on your show, Eddie, and really talking about uh, what, we're, what we're up to in the next few months. Oh, absolutely. And also, uh, I just want to let you know that uh, Perry keeps me informed, uh, and he does a good job in or organizing, getting Lance Little and uh, Don Hunter and all the folks I need to talk to. So Perry, you uh, when you send your your uh, press releases out, I'll be calling on you to come back on as well. Sounds good. <laughs> Appreciate it. Okay, thank both of you guys. Okay. Thank you, sir. Take care. All right. Take care. Take care. Talk to you soon. Okay, we're going to take a quick break and come back with our next guest after this. Why sit in bumper-to-bumper -bumper traffic when you can hop on Link Light Rail and fly by the gridlock? It's a smoother, easier, stress-free way to get where you want to go. Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill in the University of Washington or south to Columbia City, Tukwila, and the airport, Link Light Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an ORCA card, even better. Just tap on the yellow card reader when you get on and listen for the beep to let you know your card has been accepted. Then tap your card reader again once you've reached your destination and listen for the double beep to let you know you've tapped off correctly. To find the closest Link Light Rail station or to learn how to get an ORCA card, just go to soundtransit.org and type Link Light Rail into the search bar. Sound Transit's Link Light Rail. Just another way that Sound Transit is powering progress.
Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity of Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion, and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.seataxhops.com. Real people, real life, real radio. Alternative Talk, 1150. All right, yeah, okay. I said I, I remember that Marvin Gaye. I was on the dance floor when I, can I get a witness was on. But our next guest is Sharon Lee, executive director of the Low Income Housing Institute, and I've heard nothing but good things about her and the work that her organization is doing. And uh, I see that uh, Hayward Evans, along with the pastors at New Hope Missionary Baptist Church, where I had a press conference last Thursday, we're talking about uh, affordable housing for people in the central area. So. Uh, Sharon, why don't you start off just by introducing yourself to our listeners, let them know a little bit about your background, and then we'll go into the work that you're doing, the good job you're doing every day. Well, thank you. Thank you, Eddie. Um, I'm the Low Income Housing Institute founding executive director, and I've been developing housing, affordable housing, including housing for families with children, seniors, veterans, young adults people living with disabilities. I've been doing that for um, over 30 years. And we have housing in the central area. Um, you might be um, knowledgeable about it. It's um, We built a building for seniors and we named it, dedicated it after Ernestine Anderson. Right, and now, on Jackson. Yes, across from uh, Washington Middle School. It's on Ernestine Anderson Way. Yeah, right by uh, the Reverend Dr. Sammy Berry McKinney uh, Community uh, and Economic Development Center, the Center for Community and Economic Development. That was the SDI building. Uh, thankful to Sharon Tony Santos. It's the Central District Community Preservation and Development Authority. Yeah. Will be uh, named for Reverend Dr. The late Reverend Dr. Sammy Berry McKinney, who brought SOIC here, and that's why the building was even built. So, but anyway, go right ahead. Since we're neighbors already, we got you. You're all over the place, but go ahead and keep going. Well, no, and then we also helped, um, we built um, Abby Lincoln Court next door to Ernestine Anderson Place. And this was, um, you know, this is housing for um, basically families and individuals. We have some townhouses facing the little park. Um, and then we've helped a number of um, historic African-American churches build housing as well. We helped the Goodwill Baptist Church set up a nonprofit to own and manage three properties. And then we helped um, Tabernacle, Reverend Manaway, build a fourplex for homeless individuals. And so right now we're working with um, New Hope Baptist Church. They have two properties they would like to develop as affordable housing to counteract the displacement and gentrification that's happening in the central area. And we're also developing um, a piece of property with um, the Lutheran Church of the Good Shepherd. And as you know, they're on 22nd and Union. Union. And, yeah, and they would like to, um, they're right now hosting a um, tiny house village for homeless people. And they would like to not just have tiny houses, but to have um, a place where people living in tiny houses can move to and have it be affordable so that they can um you know, stay there on a long-term basis. Hey, would you have any comments or questions? You were there at the conference last. Yeah, with, Sharon. Uh, pastors uh, and Reverend Jeffrey last week. Yeah, Sharon. First of all, I want to just say thank you again. Lee, Lehigh's built over forty-five hundred units, and you have ten tiny villages. You have about a thousand people. Is that right? Right, right. Um, because um, housing is so expensive, and King County has over twelve thousand homeless people. We figured, yes, we want to continue building affordable housing, but in the meantime, there's too many people 
living in their cars, couch surfing, living with relatives, living on the street. Too many people are homeless and um, people of color are, in particular, African-Americans and Native Americans are overrepresented in the um, homeless population. Now, can you so share with our... Jeffrey, as well as um, other pastors and Hayward um, and Councilwoman Shama Shawant, um, they were at a press event last week to announce that Black Lives Matter in the central area and we need more than a thousand units of affordable housing in the central area so people who are at risk of being, um, you know, priced out of the central area can stay and people who have already left the central area who want to come back can come back. Now, for Reverend Jeffries, you're doing the, uh, the New Hope Community Development Institute, the New Hope uh, uh, Housing Project. How, now, how does that work? How many units are you proposing to build? Well, he is proposing 90 affordable units that will range from studios, one-bedroom, two- and three-bedroom units so that families as well as couples and singles could move back to the central area or stay in the central area. So he has two, um, two properties. One is next door to the church, and one is across the street from the church. And Council Member Sawant, and correct me if I'm wrong, isn't she going to be presenting legislation to allow all the churches in the area to start building housing or develop their land? Yes, she is being very, very supportive. As you know, she has um, proposed a progressive tax, and the majority of the revenue from the um, payroll, it's a payroll tax um, that's only, you know, the nominal cost to um, sort of like, um, you know, high-wage um, employees. And that money will be primarily used to develop affordable housing. And mm-hmm. she would like to support the 1,000 affordable homes in the central area. Sharon, I just want to say uh, we need to have about a half an hour of your time. Yeah. And uh, I'm very sorry, you know, because you – it's uh, such a critical issue, and so many people need to hear this. Uh, I would like to have you back as, when, as soon as you guys are ready to break ground anywhere or have any additional information about home ownership uh, possibilities or housing for people who are without, like you talked about the homeless. So uh, I would like to get back with you uh, to have a more in-depth conversation because I know between Hayward and I, we could talk to you for a half because this information oh, yeah. is valuable. But I'm sorry we just don't have the time today. So uh, I would hope you would uh, allow uh, us to accept our invitation to return for a lengthier conversation, because this is critical. It is really critical. Well, we would love for people to call the mayor and city council, Seattle City Council, to support affordable housing in the central area. I think um, I think you'll see some good results if you make the call. All right. You just you, you just made the clarion call right there and we'll we'll be on it. And I'll definitely have something posted on social media as well. So thank you very much, Sharon. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. Okay. All right. Our next guest is uh, one of, the, I guess, the sponsor of uh, I-1776, uh, Jesse Weinberry. And he has some very unique stuff. And uh, we don't have enough time for Jesse. But, Jesse, go ahead and let people know what's at stake uh, with I-1776 and the deadline for to get the petition signed. Well, thank you, Eddie, and thank you, Hayward, for all the work you're doing, and uh, thank you for the support that you gave I-1000. For everybody who is listening, I-1000 is now I-1776. We have been working for all of this year to bring this initiative forward so that people can begin to sign it. We have to turn in our signatures by July 2nd, and so go to yes on 1776.com and either print and sign, print, sign, and mail, or just go online and sign. Uh, There's a caveat to 1776 that should uh, induce everybody to sign. And what is that? I'm sorry, Eddie. I I only heard part of your question. I'm talking about the coronavirus vaccine. 
Right. The big the uh, I one thousand covered uh, public employment, public education, and public contracting. I seventeen seventy six covers all those, but it has the new component of public health because we want to make sure when the vaccines and treatments are released that uh, no one is denied uh, access uh, uh, and protection from the deadly virus based on race, based on their income, based on their occupation. And so we, in 1776, guarantees that everyone who voluntarily requests a vaccine will receive it at no cost. Hey, a question or comment for yeah, well, well, mine goes, mine goes back. Uh, Jesse, first, thank you for being here and thank you for all your hard work. 1776. Now, that's sort of interesting if you look at it from a historical perspective for America. So I'm saying, wait a minute now, we're we talking about freedom here? This is freedom for us. And just absolutely, people, people need to sign it. But how'd you come up with 1776? Well, we don't come up with those numbers. Uh, a lot of this is just divine intervention. We didn't come up with with 1,000, but we went back in to try to get I-1000 as the number, and they said it had been expired And uh, because it, every number that is used and voted on has to be taken off the list, I think, for a period of five years. So we couldn't get that uh, again. And instead, we uh, put in a request for 1776, and lo and behold, we got it. And, and when you say 1776, I think freedom. It's about That's right, freedom and, and, and independence. And this bill frees us, the initiative. We need it. Right. And so uh, the main thing is go on yes, www, yes on 1776, sign online or print your own petition and go get signatures. We want to be at the Secretary of State's office on July 2nd with over 300,000 signatures like we did last year, demanding our rights and petitioning our government to get, our, our, to, get, to get rid of discrimination when it comes to public health, public education, public contracting, and employment. Now, is there okay, any Jesse, we're out of time, brother. Hey, thanks, Jesse. We're out of time. Thanks, Jesse. We wouldn't have much time today, but we, it was too important not to have you on. So we will be shouting this out all during the weekend. I'll be sending out an email to all my contacts, letting them know they need to get business. So thank you very much. No, thank you. Thank you. Okay, uh, we're going to take a quick break and come back with our next guest after this. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity of Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.seataxhops.com. Why sit in bumper-to-bumper -bumper traffic when you can hop on Link Light Rail and fly by the gridlock? It's a smoother, easier, stress-free way to get where you want to go. Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill and the University of Washington, or south to Columbia City, Tukwila, and the airport, Link Light Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an ORCA card, even better. Just tap on the yellow card reader when you get on and listen for the beep to let you know your card has been accepted. Then tap your card reader again once you've reached your destination and listen for the double beep to let you know you've tapped off correctly. To find the closest Link Light Rail station or to learn how to get an ORCA card, just go to soundtransit.org and type Link Light Rail into the search bar. Sound Transit's Link Light Rail. Just another way that Sound Transit is powering progress. Self-help, healing, spirituality, and more on Alternative Talk. 1150. Back at Urban Forum Northwest, I had a little technical difficulty. We, uh, Eric is getting that squared away right now. 
but uh, I do want to have tell people to get both the facts and the medium. Uh, good picture of my good buddy, Reverend Dr. Kerry Anderson from First AME on the front page of the medium and all the whole group is uh, with, behind Reverend Jeffrey down at New Hope Missionary Baptist Church, including my co-host Hayward Evans, representing the McKinney Center for Community and Economic Development, uh, uh, with uh, Councilmember Sawant talking about the need for housing uh, in the central area where we've been ran out of, uh, gentrified out of. So uh, anyway, we should have Chief Best on shortly. So, hey, would you have any updates on uh, what the, uh, any conclusions that were reached? Well, you know, I think I think uh, what, uh, the direction that we're moving is is pretty great. Interestingly, I'm wondering from from the chief's perspective when she comes on, she talked about the re envisioning of the police department. I'd like to know a little bit about that. And then also, are they concerned with the, with COVID nineteen with all those people that are gathered there? Yeah. What's well, the so, okay, as, as we have Chief Besson. I'm here. Yes, thank you. Okay, Hayward asked about six questions, but before we get started with all those questions, why don't you just take a few minutes and uh, reintroduce yourselves to people that, that don't know you that well, but you've been on TV and in the newspaper so much, I'm sure everybody does, but just take a quick minute and just share a little bit of your background for the listeners that don't know that you have been in the police business for 20 plus years and stuff like that. Well, sure. I'm, I'm happy to do that. As, as you know, uh, Mr. Rye, I have been uh, on the Seattle Police Department for almost 30 years uh, and the police chief uh, for just under two years, uh, although it feels like a lot more than that with all that has happened since I came on. Uh, I'm a, a Pacific Northwest native, uh, born and raised in Tacoma, actually, went to Lincoln High School and went on to um, college from there and had some other jobs in Seattle. Um, but I've been here for... Um, you know, almost half my life now uh, working on uh, trying to uh, be a, a public servant in this community where I have a large family, uh, 14 um, aunts and uncles. My mom came from a large area. Uh, and the community is very important to me. Uh, and I just feel like it's very important, especially during this time, that we have the opportunity to have discussions, to engage, and to listen to people because we still have a lot of work to do. So I'm here. I'm here to work hard. And uh, I'm glad to be on your show. Okay, now we've been hearing uh, with the uh, George Floyd uh, Black Lives Matter protests uh, about well, some people say defund, other people say redirect funds uh, from the police department, and I guess they used uh, Mr. Brooks' example as uh, a person that was sleeping in the car, intoxicated or whatever. But to have a uh, a, a non-armed intervener, I don't know how that would work. Those are some things been talked about. But Hayward has more specific questions, and he asked before you were on, and I'd like to have Hayward to go ahead and ask those questions. Thank you. And first, Chief Best, you know, we support you 100%, and I think you're doing a great job. I just want to be straight up with it, and the viewing audience should know that. But you talked about, and you've been having these collaborative sessions already. You've always met with the community anytime we've called. Yeah. But you talked about launching this new uh, vision of community safety and the, and the police department's role. Can, can you speak to that, please? Yeah, I, I'd be glad to. I think, honestly, that we've done in Seattle a very good job about handling, you know, we were under consent decree for many years, and um, well, we're still under it, actually. But in that time, we've learned a lot. We've done a lot of great things with our administrative functions, with our, uh, you know, making our data available, putting dashboards up, having force review boards, having crisis intervention training, having additional uh, training for addiction, ha making sure we had appropriate number of supervisors and supervisory review, making sure we had appropriate accountability, one of the most robust accountability systems really in the country with the Office of Professional, I mean, Office of Police Accountability, um, the Office of Inspector General, and a community police commission, all fully funded, all staffed, are all uh, responsible for reviewing uh, the police department. So I think in those regards, we've done really well. We've met our federal mandates. We've done what we were asked to do. That said, that said, when you have an event like the murder of George Floyd, uh, and everybody witnessed it, everyone saw it, everyone you know felt equally mortified and disgusted by the total indifference to human life that we saw there, it was pretty shocking. And 
what it did was it really made what is already sort of bubbling underneath the surface, so to speak. It made that just that much more intensified and amplified because every week it seems like we're seeing another African-American male, you know, died, dying or being killed, I should say, at the hands of injustice. You know, some would say here, some, but certainly across the country, you can't get away from it. So with all of the things that we're doing, and I think we're really important to do, uh, to make uh, things much more transparent in our organization, we still have work to do. And I stood there, I, I was, I've described this before, but I was at the um, BLM, the Black Lives Matter March, you know, just kind of in my plain clothes on my own time, walking. And it was clear to me, I'm watching folks, and people, it was almost palpable, the sense of distrust, the sense of, um, you know, disillusionment. I'm not really sure how to even frame it, but I understood it. And I was like, we've done all those things that we were supposed to do. We've been checking off the boxes. But in part, you know, what we have is a system where one uh, federal agency who itself has had its own issues with race and oppression is trying to direct another agency who's had issues with race and oppression. And that can't be the only answer. I mean, we need to dig deep. And as you mentioned earlier, I've always believed in talking to community and community members but we need to have something that maybe is driven from the community, as it as has started with this movement, um, that makes it all around better. And it highlights not only the criminal justice system and some of the issues there, but every other system that we have to look at, whether it's you know health care or education or other things that have come up. But right now the focus is on the criminal justice system, and particularly on police and our engagement. And we have to be open to the fact that things are going to have to change. It's as simple as that. And we need to we need to be listening to what the community wants to see and how they want to see things work. And I'll I'll pause there. I want to find out uh, how do you perceive uh, uh, non-armed people uh, doing some of the work of of, of the current uh, police uh, in terms of uh, intervention. Uh, I've heard in the community. As a matter of fact, I was talking to two individuals that helped organize the South End March, uh, Derek Wheeler Smith and Don Davis today. And uh, they had several ideas, but even uh, uh, with uh, having uh, a security company, a black owned security company or a security company uh, be the people in the schools now. And we know that uh, most of the police officers are doing that. And then another thing uh, we had discussed was the traffic control because we know you know police officers make a lot of money doing the traffic control that could go to a black owned company as well so I, 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 those are just some of the ideas that they they had some pretty good ideas including uh you know bidding on the contract for the fare checkers on sound transit yeah and so you have to cut you off remember, remember a while ago you presented that gentleman who does that non-lethal training to subdue people you know you yeah well i think i think the chief that his name is maurice smith he was uh, uh, the uh, heavyweight mixed martial arts champ. He's from Seattle, and so he has that portfolio. But I think there was some technicality with the legal office because he wanted to film it and, and in terms of training, but he could do the training at the academy, uh, which would equip officers to use non-lethal means. Uh, hopefully, with the current state of things, uh, that could be revisited. Do you recall meeting with him or communicating with him Chief Best. I have talked with him, and I know who he is. Uh, the academy, though, is run by the Washington State Criminal Justice Training Center, um, and Sue Rar uh, does all that recruit training. So, you know, I wouldn't have the ability to, you know, make those decisions um, okay. about that. But obviously, well, any type of training that is helpful um, yeah. to help subdue people, we definitely want to do that with and causing the least amount of harm. And so I'm, we're always open to hearing thoughts and ideas along those, along those lines. And then you talked earlier about the uh, opportunities for what I would call civilian, you know, non, you know, non-armed, or however you want to frame that, people to engage. And to the degree that we can have that, I'm all for it. I mean, mm-hmm. I actually have talked about the fact that often um, th- some of the calls for service that we go to do not require a person um, who's carrying a gun. You know, they often don't require that, but we are, we are often, uh, the police department specifically, I think we're often the ones that are called uh, to replace, you know, failed and broken and underfunded systems. 
Uh, we, we responded to, in about an 18-month period, 16,995 crisis calls. So, uh, and while we do a lot of training on crisis intervention and de-escalation, it may be an opportunity for mental health providers to go to those calls for service. Uh, and if they had the funding, maybe they could do that. And that would be 16,000 times a year, almost 17,000, that we weren't responding to people in crisis. And someone else who may be able to do a better intervention uh, is doing that. And there are other examples too. So. Like I said, I'm not um, I'm not opposed to having some of those services that aren't within the traditional aspects of um, of a police service move to other areas. I mean, there's great potential there. Uh, for yeah. example, we have uh, community service officers. They wear a uniform, but they're not armed. Uh, they do yeah. um, intervention and youth engagement and system navigation. Yeah. Uh, well, I, the, before we leave, I want to make sure that we get the information because I'm going to be asking the listeners and everybody else to uh, call uh, uh, the Washington State Training Place. Yeah. Uh, uh, so if you could give us that information, I want to share that with the NAACP, Urban League, the Black clergy organizations, and the McKinney Coalition to see if we can get something done because uh, anything that happened right now in terms of non-lethal force might save another black life. Yeah, agreed. Um, I can. It's the Washington State Criminal Justice Training Center, uh, but I don't. I, I can. How about I email you or call you back oh, with the great. exact contact? Yeah. I don't have it in front of me, okay. um, but you know they're easy to look up on the you know Google it or on the um, internet as well. But I will make sure that I provide that to you um, within the next few minutes here. Okay, Chief, that's just just a quick because we're running out of time in light of the pandemic. Is, was anything being done to for these people to get tested, traced, to isolate some of those people at all those marches and rallies? What's going on with the covert in them? Well, you know, that, that presented one of the clear um, problems that we had, although most people I saw were, uh, were wearing masks uh, at, the, um, at those gatherings. Uh, we have seen an uptick, a recent rise in um, COVID-19 positive cases. You know, some of that might be related to uh, the fact that we've had large groups gathering, although I do believe most people were uh, wearing the mask, but it's difficult to practice social distancing in those groups. Uh, so, But I'm not saying that that was the reason why I'm not a medical professional, but that could have contributed to it. Uh, well, but Chief, people wanted uh, to yeah, assemble, and when they yeah, did, no, we're, we're, we're out of time, most Chief. people assembled wearing their mask and trying to practice um, safety precautions as well as they could. Thank okay, you. I want to thank you very much, Chief Carmen Best. And uh, you, you can always have a, a platform here. Or, you know, you always welcome to come on here because we didn't get a chance to talk about the East Precinct, but that's, that's that, maybe we can talk about that next week. Yep, sounds good to me. Okay, so, right. so okay, everybody heard it. We're going to have Chief Best back <laughs> next week to talk about the East Precinct. Awesome. So I'll give thank you all you. a week to square things away. So thank you very much for your time today, ma'am. We'll, we'll got you down for next week already. Okay. July 2nd, Take care, all. which will repeat on July 4th. Okay, thank you very much. Okay, Haywood Evans and Eddie Ryan with another edition of Urban Forum Northwest. I want to let you know that Urban Forum Northwest is brought to you by Sound Transit Small Business Development and Labor Compliance Office, the City of Seattle's Purchasing and Construction Services Office, the Port of Seattle's Diversity Contracting Office, Concourse Concessions at SeaTac. They're going back to work along with SeaTac Bar Group, LLC, and Stephanie Ogle handles our technology. And uh, so, Eric, thank you very much for your work. We appreciate you. And we'll be talking to people again uh, next Thursday.